As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Front and Nationwide is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Blue Jackets tickets tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. This isn't just for Blue Jackets tickets, though. Browns, Bengals, Reds, Indians, Crew, you name it, any Major League sport, any Major League team, GameTime is your app for last-minute, highly discounted tickets. Head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome to Front End Nationwide. This is The Athletics' dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsign with you Tuesday morning. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. Allison, the Blue Jackets host the Arizona Coyotes tonight. This team needs some wins here and they need them quickly. You were over at the rink this morning. There's lots of stuff going on. There's a recall. There's some position switches going on. Tell us uh, what came out of the morning session and what people can expect uh, tonight and perhaps beyond um, with these Blue Jackets. Yeah, I think the most obvious one is obvious is the, the Zacharinsky injury and how this team is going to adjust. We know that Scott Harrington, who has been biding his time, is going to play tonight. So he will slot in at the, at the sixth defenseman spot. Uh, we don't know pairs just yet. Um, so it was it was curious that they called up Andrew Peak early, right? Because they're home for the next two games, and Cleveland is just up the road. Except that Cleveland isn't actually up the road this week. <laughs> they left for Laval, which is in Canada this morning. So that might be part of why they just brought Peak down now. Because should they have needed him, it would be easier to get him here from Cleveland than once he was across the border. So. That was the first thing, and you wrote about, you know, kind of what this defensive 
shift and, and balancing act is going to be like when Wierenski was out. But right now it looks like it's, it's going to at least be Scott Harrington to start. Interesting. And now there's some forward news as well where there's been some a position switch. Tell us about that. Yeah, it sounds like that tonight uh, we're going to see Alexander Texier at center uh, once again. Um, I was able to ask Torts about that. And, you know, this is a player that the organization sees as ultimately playing down the middle. Um, this is a, a process that Torts is familiar with. We all remember him taking Pierre-Luc Dubois through this process from wing to center. Torts really likes, and we've commented on this too, how aggressive and hard Texier is down low below the hash marks. Um, so that's a real advantage that he sees to that player playing the full 200-foot game. And, you know, once again, it, Alexander Wenberg's game has fallen off. So if you're trying to find an offensive jump, if you're find, trying to find energy in your team, uh, this is this is Tort's latest attempt to do that, is to move Tex to center. Um, I talked to Tex real quickly in the locker room, and, he, you know, he's, he's, he's just, you know, I just want to play. I'm here to play. So uh, whether Torts brings yeah. him into the penalty kill, which is something that the coach has alluded to, in addition to moving him to center or, or just starts here with this center to see how he responds, the player's all for it. He just wants to play. So uh, that it'll be something to watch for if he can hold the position throughout the game, if there isn't too much jumbling, and, and what happens in games following this as well. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, let's just say it, Allison, this is further proof that the coach is, his patience is thinning. Um, and I think realistically, they can't wait much longer for things to get going Right here. So Wenberg is out of the middle. Again, who knows how long this, this lasts. But he just, he started, I think, pretty strong the first 10 games. And he's faded, he's faded dramatically since then. Um, you know, we, we detailed this in a story posted yesterday. It's still up there about how Tortorella is, is, it, look, if Josh Anderson isn't going to score, he can't be taking stupid penalties. If he does, there is a there's there are ramifications. He lost a lot of ice time in a recent game. Cam Atkinson on Saturday against the Islanders blows an assignment, leads to a three on two essentially for the Islanders and the and a one nothing goal, a minute and fifteen in the game. That's exactly how the Islanders want to play. Get the early lead and ride it out. Cam Atkinson is not scoring. Is not. Uh, has not been a dangerous offensive player. Tortorella makes a move. Emil Bemstrom moves up into his spot uh, on that line, and Atkinson falls down to the fourth line. He can't – he has shown, I think, enormous patience with these guys. We've, you probably know the numbers by heart. Atkinson has four goals. He's on pace for 13. He had 41 last year. Josh Anderson, who had 27 goals last year, has one He's been almost, uh, you don't notice him, which is hard to say about Josh Anderson. He has waited, it's almost a third of the way into the season now. Allison, he's shown tremendous patience. He, he can't have much more on reserve for these guys. I don't know where he turns, but he's got to start taking drastic steps here if these guys are so drastically underperforming. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, people will will joke because a tort's reputation precedes him or perceived reputation. But if he wants this team to succeed, like you said, he, there's not a lot more time to wait <laughs> to right. see. And you know, a coach, a, a primary responsibility of a coach is to 
find the ways to push the right buttons for the players. And he is pushing every possible button he can um, to get them going. He, he, ha- he has to move things around because the old tried and true, the, the, the waiting for them to warm, the waiting for their game to come back, it, I think we've passed that point for any coach. It, it, his, the opportunity has been more than fair, in my opinion. Yeah. And I see criticism. I mean, it, it, it is the season. The team is struggling, so it's it's all fair. It's all on board. But people saying that Tortorella changes his lines so much the team that the players can't find any any cohesion, any chemistry. I I you know I think back to the sixteen seventeen season when they played so well, and they played so well, and he didn't touch the line. So right. if you remember, they would go long stretches where it's like. That's the third line. That's the fourth line. Those guys are on the first line. Like, it was so – it made so much sense because everything was going. Does he share blame in this? I I don't see it. I don't think so. I I mean, I don't – it's not like he in the second period blew things up in the opener. I mean, I don't don't know. I I feel like – I feel like he's been let down – by the veterans more than the veterans have been let down by an impatient coach. But you're free to disagree. Where do you come in? Yeah, you know, I, 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 <laughs> sorry for the boring podcast, but I agree. I think that, uh, oh. sorry. But because here's, here's the thing. We know a couple things about this group. We know that when the players have had something to say, that they've gone and pushed back to torts. We heard the story with when Seth went to him about, hey, I've got, Zach, I can take care of talking to Zach. You you can stay out of this for now. We yeah. know there is proven history that this, I mean, this team is back to doing morning skates because the players wanted to have morning skates. It's not right. that the players don't have a voice um, with this group in particular, at least that's my read on things. And I think if it was disruptive, th- that would be a conversation that was had. I also think that while he has jumbled lines, I think he's also given lines ample time in my opinion it's not like they play one shift and it's over um so yeah you know it's these guys just aren't finishing i mean we were watching players in practice yesterday who couldn't find the back of the net for for long stretches and in practice so as much as as the quote went about the power play a head coach ultimately doesn't have a remote control so yeah. this is where they're at. And we know they're responding in other ways. They're playing defensively at a super high level. The, the goaltending has been fine. I mean, it's this isn't a, a breakdown of coach to team, in my opinion. No. Isn't it crazy? And I've said this to myself many times, written it a few times. When, when this season began, the one thing you could hang your hat on was the veteran core. Yep. You didn't know about the goaltending. You didn't know if the kids would be ready. But you, but you knew that the veteran core was going to be there. Yep. And it's amazing to me that the goaltending's been pretty good. Uh, I think the, the goaltending's been about as good as they would have expected. Mm-hmm. I think it could be better, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like I think the kids have been okay. I mean, you want Bemstrom or Texier to pop. Right. That hasn't happened. But they've both proven, at least Bemstrom for sure, has proven to be a capable player uh, Gavrikov looks like a capable player yep right the the rookies have sort of done I think what you would expect what you could expect the fact that that it's chronic among Anderson Atkinson Felino's warmed up here lately um Wenberg 
and we could go on here. Huh. I mean, Felina still went almost two months without a goal. Right. The fact that they're even, that they're not in the basement, that they're not already a lottery pick is pretty crazy. Oh, it's, I mean, this is without getting into the, the nitty gritty of it. And I tweeted this out, I think, or either early this week or late last. But if you look at the way that we can currently measure shot quality, this defense is playing so well that the Blue Jackets actually have an advantage for in terms of the shot quality they are generating. That's how good the defense is. They're suppressing their opponents to a greater degree than the offense that the Jackets are creating. (laughs) So it's, I mean, it is crazy to think that with that opportunity, I mean, again, if, if any of these guys was just on a, a normal pace for them. If Cam Atkinson was on a 25 goal pace, right. this this is a different story right now, and I think that's what makes this really tough for for fans for for the team. It's it's a it's a tough situation because, like you said, what we thought was going to be kind of the buoy, if you will, is 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 completely absent. Yeah, and the one thing that just keeps hanging out there, and you're talking about the fine line that this team has lived on. The the fact that Atkinson can't score, Anderson can't score, all all these guys, if they just had done a little bit more, if they if they could just give you something in there, um, it's right there because this team, and let me call it up here real quickly, page four, <laughs> one goal games. Yep. They've played 17 one goal games. That's crazy. Right? That's crazy. They're, they've lost eight of them, nine, four, and four. I mean, they're on the good side of that, but if they just get another goal here. Here's something. When the other team scores first, they're 0-8-3. They've only had a lead in four games this season. If I Say got this again. right, let me go back through. And this, I tweeted well, this won. out. Hold on. Hold they've on. Let me, they have not trailed. That's what it is. They have not trailed only four well, times. So there's only been four games where they've, they've never been behind. Correct. Wow, uh, that's a hard way to live out of 26 games. Correct. And only two of them, let me double check this, only two of them were they never tied. So there's only two games this season when they've had a lead for the entirety of the game. They got the first goal and then had the lead the rest of the time. The other two, they had to fight back off of a tie. And what was it? Wasn't it Montreal, the Montreal game? It was the first game they'd won by more than a goal. Let me go to that page. You're flipping me around. Um, yeah, I think I remember. Let's see the first. Yeah. Yeah. It, yes, it was Montreal. That was a three goal differential. Yeah. And then Pittsburgh, they beat by four, but every other yeah. game has been won. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they were 20 games into the season before they won a game by more than a goal. So like nothing has come easy for this group. And you just, you wonder, like, I mean, this could go one of two ways. They've got all these games against the Metro here. So as Seth Jones said, to you not long ago, the, this stretch is going to figure our season. Yep. If those guys can awaken, maybe there's an interesting second half. If those guys take quite much longer, this thing's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a hard that's a hard reality, but it's kind of getting to that already. Uh, tonight's game twenty seven, so they're about a third of the way into the season after tonight. Um, so. Uh, Zach Wierenski, of course, the big news, uh, slammed into awkwardly by Anders Lee in, early in the game against the Islanders. God, it's one of those games where just so many awful things happen in the yep. first four minutes of the game. Yep. 
Um, Atkinson blows the three on two. They're down one nothing. Wierenski goes off the ice, and it looked, Allison, it looked like. Looked terrible. It looked like a serious, my arm can't move. Yep. Um, type injury, like a dislocated shoulder, like a, you know, I mean, broken collarbone, which I think is what Morinsky feared initially. Mm. Um, the news that it is a sprained shoulder and he's out a month is, on one hand, devastating because that's, that's a really important guy to them. But on the other hand, you go, oh, okay, only a month. It's not surgery. Right. It's not an 11-month recuperation. So that shoulder is a big joint. Uh, he's already had one there. That would be a really worrying thing if he had to have another. But now they're forced with overcoming uh, a team that can't score as it is, is now leaving the guy that probably is their their uh, biggest source of offensive oomph from the from the back mm-hmm. of it. How tough, how steep is this hill now, and how do they find uh, even part of an answer for him? Yeah, I mean, the first part is, as, as Tort said, is that it's just more challenge that everyone else is going to have to maybe this is that button we talked about buttons earlier this is maybe this is that button you know he he told us how he talked to to Zach and Seth a little bit ago and said okay guys just go we need offense and Zach was the guy that listened apparently um and and responded and I think that's that's what's hard I think is that not only is he part of this defensive engine it's that the way this defensive engine is constructed is that this defensive engine is also offensive. Um, and Zach has been the biggest part of that. Um, I've been looking at penalty kills and, you know, it's either him or Seth getting the puck out of the zone. It's, yeah. you know, it's, there's so much that this player does. And you look at, um, you know, uh, Nudavara is skating with the team. Again, he skated again this morning. Um, just talked to him casually for a little bit. You know, it was good to good to see him around the room, but we don't know when he'll be back. Um, he's got some offensive upside, but has had a bit of a slow year. Dean Kukin is warming. Um, he's got an offensive upside too, but he's, you know, as Tort said, is kind of up and down in terms of his consistency. So Jones hopefully warms, and, and at the very least – these guys filling in have got to uphold the defensive responsibility that Zach was carrying as well. Yeah. And the thing that, that worries me beyond just, just the ability on the ice is the mental approach. I, I feel like mm. Atkinson ties himself in knots. I think Felino can. Josh Anderson has certainly this year. I think even Seth Jones gets out of himself sometimes. Wierenski seems to be the one guy that's just sort of immune to all of that yep. sort of stress. Let's yep. just go do this, guys. Come on, we've been doing it for years. <laughs> it doesn't even affect him. Yep. I worry about taking that guy out of the, that attitude out of the lineup, too, because I think they really, really need that. I think that's been, I mean, you know, we're, it's been a tough go here in one stretch. They're five and three in their last eight, so above water here. And I think that's can, kind of been part of, of the the sort of pickup from when they were in a real dark place not long ago is Wierenski's ability to just play and create and and rely on his instincts and I'm not sure who picks up the baton there from him what what can the Blue Jackets Blue Jackets expect from Peak now this is a guy that's that's created I think more offense in the A this year than many myself included would have anticipated he came out of college is a bit of a, 
I don't know. He could score in college, but this guy's got 5, 7, 12 in 21 games with Cleveland. I, that's certainly that's a, ahead of his pace. In I think that's more goals than he's ever scored in a college season. <laughs> that's exactly what I was just going to say, and I, it's, I'm pulling it up now here. Um, it's more goals than he scored in any entire season in college, which is quite a statement for a kid making the leap. Or excuse me, he he did score five goals two years ago at Notre Dame, but he's already just okay. two points total points away from his lowest total points in in college, and he's 21 games in to the A. Um, this is a kid who was really motivated, I think, by the fact that he was able to stick in camp till the end of camp. He was the last cut, if we all recall. This is a kid who seems to talk, we talked with him a little bit today, who seems really, really focused, really fired up about the opportunity in front of him. He seems to be taking great advantage of the coaching that's been available to him in Cleveland. And, you know, maybe he does, if he's able to get himself into the lineup, maybe there's a little bit of a Robinson effect. I mean, remember when Eric Robinson came in, there was kind of the boost because this is a kid fighting to say, Hey, notice me. Hey, I want to stick around here. Um, if, if he can get in, who's who's to say we don't see that from him as well? But he, there is definitely a growing edge in the best way to him, even talking to him today compared to those kind of final days in camp. Yeah. Remember the last Blue Jackets defenseman from Notre Dame? The Trivia last question. Blue Jackets defenseman. Um, shoot, all I can think of is uh, the forward. Um, oh, yeah, Tynan? Tynan, T.J. Tynan. Uh, Teddy Ruth. Oh, Theodore. Theodore Ruth. And a great story. Uh, trade deadline, what year would it have been? I am old. Hold on a second. <laughs> um, he and his buddies at Notre Dame are watching the uh, TSN. They somehow have TSN. So it would have been 08. And... Teddy Ruth was sort of was a kind of a not a great prospect, but seen as a guy who was going to play a big physical rugged guy. And the Blue Jackets trade Sergei Fedorov to the Washington Capitals for Ted Ruth. And he and his buddies are watching the trade deadline like, oh, my God, they traded they traded Fedorov. (laughs) And the announcer says for a defenseman from Notre Dame named Ted Ruth. And Ted Ruth said the room went quiet. Like, what? Dude. He said it's the only time he could get his buddies to shut up. (laughs) That's a great story. They're like, whoa. Like, imagine watching TV and your friend's been traded on TV. Nobody saw that coming, but the Blue Jackets just wanted to part ways with. They were trimming. Um, So, anyways, Ted Ruth. But I think Andrew Peake certainly has more upside than than, uh, Ted Ruth. Looks to be... Looks to be maybe even more of a pro player than a college player. So, yeah. and it would be a nice story, Allison, if he were. And I don't think he stays up here long if he's not playing. That's not what the For organization sure. wants to do with their prospects. There's a chance if he sticks around, if he gets into the lineup, he could be playing uh, back in his native Florida. Yes. By this weekend, that would yes. be a cool story. Yep, yep. I asked him about that, and of course, he gave he gave the answer that that you might expect, which is that you know right now his primary focus is to just get into the lineup and, and, and help the team. But uh, you have to think it would be special for him for sure. Bull Durham ruined so many things. <laughs> i just here His to kids. help the club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Write this down. Anyway. Yes. 
Right. It's good stuff. Although the Blue Jackets do have a nuclear in the dressing room, don't they? <laughs> They, they have a I'm couple. I'm not going to say. They have I'm a couple. I'm not going to say who, but there's a prime candidate. Allison, what else do we need to get to? I don't know. I mean, there's it's crazy times in the league. Um, it is. Not just this team. Um, just some some reckonings. Um, I think it's it's a, it's an interesting sport in which we work, and Porter, you and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, there's, there is a little bit of difference when it comes to work motivation, if you will, but there's also still humans involved. And I think that redrawing that line and, and respecting that we are, in fact, all humans is important. And I think we're, we're seeing important discussion and, and in some cases ramifications for people who don't respect that line. Yeah, new today, uh, Mark Crawford has been sent, assistant coach has been sent home by the Chicago Blackhawks while they investigate uh, charges from a player against him. Uh, yeah, not uh, Johan Franzen has come out and told a Swedish newspaper that Mike Babcock is the worst person he ever knew. That he basically tormented him and made him not want to come to the rink. Um, man, there's a lot. There's stuff that goes on. It's the power structure, yep. isn't it, Allison? It's the the the. It's so. It's always been a fascinating thing to me, and I'm not. I'm not at all making light of it. But these these big powerful strong rich incredibly wealthy people with type a personas they are still able to be tormented by people who can hold their power over their head and the old saying and i'm going to get it wrong but it's it's not what what people do when they have power is the real yep is the real um, expression of who's that who they are as people absolutely and some people are, are going to abuse that and we're starting to see players that that are talking about it I think what happened in Toronto is Bob, Babcock walked away and his I think some players there felt they owed it to the next group of players and the next team that may hire him on resume alone um and say, this is what the real person is. This isn't just a coach you don't like. This is a guy that does some really backward, cruel things that I don't think mo- any team would be able to abide or willing to abide, no matter how good the coach is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it, 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 this has been written, and for people who maybe haven't followed it as closely, you know, you said the, po- the power involved, particularly at the junior levels, and, and even totally. at the pro levels, I mean, these coaches have the power to determine if a kid ever even gets considered to have a chance at the next level. They control yeah. playing time. They control perception. Everything we hear about, even in terms of recruiting at the college level of, of whether you say something good about a kid or what if you say something bad? I mean, this this hockey world has operated on that for a long time. And so I think that the, the, you know, and it's interesting too in in the comments about Babcock, um, that uh, and forgive me the 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 European who commented and had the nervous breakdown due to his his Johann treatment Franzen. Johan yeah. Franzen, you know, he said he's a, he's a great systems coach. He's a smart hockey person. He didn't say that that he couldn't X's and O's yeah. hockey, but it's right. the way that some of these people choose to treat. Their players, and again, I mean, forget if they're your players. You're treating another human that way. I just think is is just not okay. And I think that um, 
the fear to speak out in such a small world is very real. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I think too many people can identify with that. And I applaud any player at any point in their career who is willing to put their neck out and say the thing so that at least it's out there. Yeah, the one thing too, and I'll, this is maybe dangerous territory for a media person, but I think media in some markets and fans in many markets are complicit in all of this because Absolutely. there is a level of, and you, of course you have to check sources and of course you have to verify, get all of that. But we, when, when you take on an institution, there is immediate doubt and there's immediate suspicion about your, what are you going for here? Yep. Why are you trying to do this? There's immediate doubt. There's an immediate tendency to side with the institution. Yep. With the the big and the powerful and the forever. That's where you go, right? And so, you know, 10 years ago, Akeem Alou had, I'm sure in his mind, didn't feel like he had any credibility. He mm -hmm. had been painted in a very negative way uh, for some stuff that went on early in his career, whether that was his fault or not. He probably didn't feel, uh, I know he didn't feel, of course he didn't feel. That's why he waited 10 years to step forward and say, this is what I know. Um, but when one person does it and it's verified, then it becomes easier for the next person. So we should always appreciate the first people yep. who, who have the courage to step forward and, and speak truth to power uh, early on. And yep. we don't always make it easy on, on them. And I think it's, it's going to be even more important to, for the work that comes next because this isn't I, – I don't think – that in its entirety, this is meant to be a root out the bad guys and it's fixed. Um, right. There might be some bad guys who aren't being having the opportunity to be bad in hockey anymore, but what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? How can you vet a coach, a coaching candidate properly? That I think that's a hard question. I'm not saying someone should have the answer right now because for everything you just said, if, if we know players are afraid to come forward, why will they tell you if you're asking them about a coach you're interviewing, right? That's, yeah. that's a scary situation too. So there's, there's work to be done. I think there's still more questions to be asked about how we got here um, in some situations. And, and I think if, if we think that identifying any number of people and telling them they can't work in hockey anymore is the end, I think that, that we've all kind of failed on that. Yeah, and I find it hard to believe that some of this stuff occurred without other people knowing it. For sure. Without other people in power knowing it. So maybe they're getting exposed to this whole process as well. And and and, and an element of it is old school, new school. For sure. sure. For sure. But even the old school stuff, the raising your voice, the confrontation, I think a lot of that's faded with some coaches. It's never okay to abuse somebody, be that verbal or physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably a difficult line. Um, it's not. This is not corporate America. And I've had players say that these last couple of days for a piece I'm working on. It's not corporate America. It's not. You don't just go right to HR when someone raises their voice at you. Right. Um, and says they can't work with you and says you're not coming to work tomorrow because you're off the first line or whatever. <laughs> you, that's not how it works. Right. Uh, it's heated. It's it's passionate. It's it's back and forth. It's trading FUs sometimes which you probably don't do in the workplace <laughs> anymore that's 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 always going to be there but it's never right to hit to kick to punch some of the mind games that babcock did are just on my God. yeah 
It's unbelievable yeah. to me that, that anyone thinks that is a good idea or is in any way beneficial other than in keeping the room divided so that you are always in charge. Mm-hmm. And that's the sign of a weak person, which is a very strange place to be. Anyways, we've gone on quite the tangent there, Allison. <laughs> well, I th- well listen, almost- I think it's... I think it's important. I think it's an important sport is, is part of our culture, just like work is part of our culture, just like everything in culture makes up culture. So uh, if we can learn from the stuff that's happening in all aspects of our lives and, and make even one aspect of our life better, it, it hopefully helps feeds off into others as well. Okay. I, I ask again, <laughs> is uh, anything else we need to get to here? Well, no, we good? no, I'm just kidding. I think we're done. You know, here's another thing. <laughs> Income inequality. Go. (laughs) Get off my lawn. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening, people. We will be back with you on Friday. We missed last Friday because, we, frankly, we just had too much turkey and dressing and just couldn't answer the bell. (laughs) No, that's not it. It was a planned absence. But we will be back with you Friday, and we look forward to it. We'll we'll, uh, speak and, and have plenty up on the site here in the next few days. Uh, So stick with us, and and, uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again on Friday.